Hello, welcome to the NHSR podcast. Uh, I've just remembered that I made a mistake in the last podcast because I never said who I was. So I'm going to say who I was in this one. I've recorded this is the second podcast I've recorded today. So if I sound a bit jaded and strange, that's why. So we are recording today on the 25th of May, 2023. My name is Chris Beely. I'm a data scientist. I work at the strategy unit. Um, Zoe, would you like to introduce yourself, please? I'm Zoe Turner. I'm a data scientist as well at the strategy unit and helping out with NHSR things. Thank you very much. So this will be a newscast. I've just recorded um, an episode with a very special guest. So look out for that. I think the newscast will come out first. In fact, I'm almost positive that it will. Um, but we've got some community news for you today. So that's what we're going to lead with. Um, the first thing to say is that the NHSR conference is open for abstracts. So we did open for abstracts uh, recently. We have just extended the deadline. So you now have until the 23rd of June 2023 to submit your abstracts. We are looking for R and Python. Um, those of you who came last year will know that Python was in a separate room last year. I was in the Python room last year and I had a great time, but I want to see the languages kind of come together more. So this year we've decided uh, between NHSR and NHS PyCom that we will run it jointly and that we will have Python talks on the main stage. So I'm really keen to get lots of abstracts in general, but I'm certainly really keen to get lots of great Python talks up there. Um, to sort of convince all the R people about how wonderful Python is and to convince all the Python people about how wonderful R is. That's very much what I'm hoping. So it's the 23rd of June. The actual conference itself is on the 17th and 18th of October. And just to add, it's a hybrid event. So it will be in Birmingham at a venue, but also there'll be some online things as well and people can attend online. That's right. Have you got an abstract, Zoe? I was thinking about one today because somebody asked a good question, which is why are projects in R studio useful like they were using it but they couldn't quite see the value of it and I thought oh there's a there's a talk in there isn't there because my experience of using projects wasn't um about R and why it worked there it was more like I could not type out the uh the pathway to the file pathway of our network drives in the NHS they're quite complex and we're with one drive so there's lots of spaces and in the titles and projects just gets around it and I was like that's a talk, isn't it? Very specific for public sector and civil service, I'm sure, where it's like, I just use this to get around difficult pathway structures because I couldn't find stuff. So maybe, but I haven't put in my abstract. It's time funny you should now. mention, actually. What, what? There's time yet now. There's time. There is indeed time, yes. So Tom was complaining about file paths in Windows are awful. Tom was complaining about this in the Find channel of Slack the other day, so it's funny you should say that. Um I think my, myself, I'm probably not going to submit an abstract, I think, because I'm sort of in charge of two conferences at the moment, and it's a lot of stress. I'm not sure I can. I might do a lightning talk, but if I do do a lightning talk, it will just be an almost content-free me just ranting. I'm not going to have lots of clever things to say, I don't think, because I'm just too busy to, to think of these things anymore. Yes, encourage that. Lightning talks of code or just ranting? Yes, just everybody's got something to say for eight minutes, haven't they? So uh, stick a lightning talk in. Right, Zoe, are you going to talk about the NHSR way? Yeah, I've been working on a few books. It sounds really grand, but they're not, they're just, I say just, the quarto tricks my brain into writing things down because it's nice and it's not difficult to set up, but it's more technical and you're writing in R Markdown or Markdown. It's not R Markdown. You write in Markdown into quarto and then publish your book really super quickly and easily and so I've been concentrating on documenting the NHSR community you know, like you should document your code 
you should do your packages and things but you should also write about your community and it's actually there's a lot of stuff that's in your head there certainly was in my head so I was inspired by the Turing way and also as I was doing some more research around this found the GDS way as well so that was very interesting and there are different approaches between the two ways and they of course were inspired by the Apache way Oh, were they? I didn't know that. Yeah, we've we've talked about this before, haven't we, the Apache Way? I didn't know they were inspired by. I thought they were just like independent. Oh, I think so, yeah. I think the Apache Way was the kind Well, I think maybe there was one before that even, but that's the one I'm familiar with. You can write in and tell me that I'm wrong and it was one before the Apache Way, if you like. Or, Or add more ways. So the ways are kind of either your values and your approaches to work and what you've agreed. So it could be even code styles or communication styles, or it can be more technical. And the GDS way, um, that's government data science way, is also a little bit more technical. So what licenses people should use for their code and um, how to do things, how to set it up. So it's a bit more technical, but it's really useful. But for the NHSR way, it's the about the community and so our values and what we do and how we approach things, also our media, where things are kept, because it's we do a lot of stuff in the NHSR community and it's not always very easy to navigate as a person just stumbling across the community. But then we also have another book, which is probably, I kind of feel like more opinionated, could be more opinionated, the statement on tools. So that's a little bit more technical. So in there, I've written a bit more about the licenses, for example, but in the um, NHSR way said which licenses we use but there's more information in the statement on tools book so at the moment it's quite messy and complicated working between the two and saying this links to that one which then links back but eventually I think it will all come out straightforward I'm hoping but we had a lot of um collaboration with people contribution to the statement on tools so there's a lot of content in there already which I'm very grateful for and would like to build upon rather than just start afresh because that's not really the way that we're going to work it's not the NHSR way so the NHSR way is new and it's just started but it's open for collaboration and mistake finding and contradictions or anything like that so people can get involved yes I do um are there particular issues you think that you could maybe link in the show notes if people want to kind of yes i've written loads of bits in there already so my way of working now um is always like if i have an idea i put it as an issue because i'll forget it so it is my to-do list it's like a sticky note thing but it's attached to the repository so there are things in there there may even be links already where i've gone oh this is a good link i should do this and then not done it so people can either pick those up or even add to my to-do list that's fine We've also published it through Git, I say we, I had to set up my own Netlify thing, um, which I think I might set up for NHSR community directly, but it was to get it published through GitHub Netlify so that people could access this who had GitHub published documents blocked from their VPN. That's not the best solution in the world. It was totally a workaround, but um, you can do this using some of the Quarto and GitHub features where you can publish to two sites and they're both free because um, that's really useful too. Yes, we were talking about um, licenses the other day, weren't we, going back to the issue about licenses. Um, and it does mention in the um, in the Goldacre review that we should consider using Crown Copyright. Uh, this is an idea that's floated around for a while, I believe. Um, and I have actually spoken to some people. I forget. I think they call the National Archives the kind of crown copyright people. I did communicate with a couple of them some time ago. Um, 
No one seems to be really sure. Nobody seems to want to take charge of this decision. So this is something else you can write in and tell me I'm wrong about. I personally would just start writing Crown Copyright on stuff because um, I, I don't see what harm it can do, really. Everybody seems to think it's a good idea. Nobody seems to be want, want to be the person to say, yes, let's all do this. So I think if we all just start quietly doing it, um, I think that probably would be a good idea. Just to say also, if your trust does block um, .github.io or indeed github.com, it's great that Zoe works around it, and we do need to work that way, but please ask them to unblock it as well, because that will help the next person. So I, I, you know, whenever I have at times kind of worked in other trusts or, you know, whatever, done a placement or had a honorary contract or whatever, I always make a point of requesting everything to be unlocked because I know that will save headaches for the next person. So don't just go around things. Uh, do try to make sure that you kind of uh, get it get it sorted out for the next person. Yeah, not all the books are also published through Netlify. So we have another one which we started up. I've just been building lots of books, it feels like. You just go a bit crazy. Book crazy with Quarto. Well, this was built by Tom Gemmett, but part of the Alpha Data Science book club that we were doing. We were reading through the first edition and got about three quarters of the way through, I think. And then I realized that there was a second edition and got a little bit magpie-like and was like, oh, let's read this one. Now, for the first Alpha Data Science book, there was an unofficial exercise solution book built by somebody else which was really good, but it wasn't really being maintained. So some of the um, numbers kind of got out of sync, but there isn't anything like that for the second edition. So we decided maybe it'd be really good if we started doing the solutions and writing them out, but in a book, matching it a bit more closely to the R for Data Science, giving it full citation, um, linking to the right chapters. And it's actually in a state of change still, because I noticed when I went back in the chapter one, there were a couple of extra bits when we went in and I was like, oh, this is still moving, which is fine. That's what we're working towards. And um, that's another book, but that's not on Netlify, but it is available on GitHub. And people can just contribute to the book club without actually, in a sense, coming to do the book club. You can just contribute to the solution. So if we've got something wrong or you could do something slightly different in the questions, that would be really good. That kind of links to another thing that we've got, which isn't a book, which could be a book, I'm a bit obsessed with books, is the um, demos and how-tos, which is a repository. So it's just a selection or a collection of scripts, our markdown documents. Maybe I think there might be a Shiny app in there as well. I, I thought that there would be something like that. So people have kind of dropped in their standalone snippets of code that will just work, I think. But as time goes on and it's, it's really expanded, we could possibly do with a, a move of that content into some book because it's quite searchable got a really good search engine in the quarto books and they're a lot of fun to do yes i we were just talking on the other podcast that will come out after this one about curation uh, i didn't explicitly mention this repo but i was thinking about this repo one day somebody is going to drop out of the sky and give me some money to create all this code so if you're listening to this and you want to drop out of the sky and give me money to curate lots of code, then please do. It would be incredibly valuable, even if the NHS had one person doing this. Uh, but this promise is nobody's job and things that are nobody's job don't get done as a rule. And wasn't that part of the Goldacre report as well? There was some sort of distinct There is indeed, the Open there. Library of Code, yes, indeed. So it's one of the many brilliant ideas in the Goldacre review that has not been uh, implemented. So if anybody wants to give me money to do any of the things in the Goldacre review, then my DMs are as ever open. And the other thing that I suppose, it, I don't think it necessarily 
Well, yes, it does link in, I suppose. Um, I'm going to be talking next month at the Government Data Science Community Meetup. Uh, they've called it the Tool Shed, which is quite nice. So they want people to come along and show off their packages or talk about them. But I'm going to be talking title to be confirmed, though, but specifically about how the NHSR could help or assist with people's existing code or repositories. Uh, we've taken on a couple of things that were very NHS orientated. We've had a quarto, different kind of theme. Um, this was a website theme, NHS one from Craig Shenton and NHSR episodes package from Tim Taylor. They both passed over their work to the NHSR community, but still involved with them, which is really nice. So that's kind of helped their work become more centralized so other people can see it, use it, benefit from it and contribute to them. So the NHSR community um, GitHub repository is not owned by any particular people, as it were. We, it's owned by everybody. So it's nice. It's really nice. and feel very humble when people give their work over and we can continue working on it. So I want to go to the tool shed, which is free as a ticket uh, if you wanted to sign up for all public sector and civil servants to get together to talk about this and try and encourage more people to come and have a look at what we do and and contribute in any way they can. It may be that some things we could hold on to as it finds the right place. So I know Matt Dre had a package as he was moving between organisations, wasn't too sure where that package really should sit. And I did suggest that we could hold it, but not own it from NHSR community until it could find a, a good home, because it's not always very clear, particularly even in the NHS, like, who keeps what. So that could be a useful area to consider that we could adopt or foster repositories in our GitHub. Yes, indeed. Uh, I do. I like the um, the tool shed metaphor. We don't make enough tools. Um, that's something else that's in the Goldacre review, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff about um, what do you call it? Software engineering for research and all this kind of thing. And there's this, ten there's this tendency everywhere to just to make, build big loads of kind of analytic kind of bump and not kind of you know work on the tool set and the tool set is kind of underfunded and undervalued and all this kind of thing right speaking of uh talks i did a talk uh i can't remember when it was uh tuesday i think was it um so just to mention the thing that that was promoting so it was it's data connect which has run i think this will maybe be the third year it's a government project. I think it's cabinet office. Um, it's fully online um, in September. I forget how many days it is. And it's kind of data in the broadest sense of data. So it was quite interesting for me to go along because uh, I normally hang out with data scientists, but this was everybody. Date. So there were jokes about data architecture. So I was felt very kind of like I was in a slightly different world than the one I'm normally in. Uh, interestingly, data architects complain about the exact same thing that data scientists do silos and communication and you know it's all it's all the same everywhere but it was interesting to get a different kind of flavor of uh, of what's going on um so there'll be a link to that in the show notes um right let's do the find section so we have a lovely finds channel on the slack now so if you're not in that um in that channel i suggest you join it and if you're not on the slack i certainly suggest you join that because it's great um so we'll kick off with um, there's a it's a sort of it's not exciting this until unless you're excited one of those ones that it will excite only the people that it does excite. So it's a very 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 fast Python linter. 
So a linter for the uninitiated is something that kind of looks at you kind of the way you've codes formatted and that kind of thing in, in outline terms. Um, and there's several Python linters exist, but this one is distinguished by just being really, 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 really fast. And I'm not much of a Python person, but every Python person I've shown it to has said, wow, that's very, very fast. So if you want to lint very fast, which you do sometimes when you're doing things like continuous integration, um, you don't want to be hanging around every single time you push the code. So um, yes, uh, have a look at that. It's very, um, it's yes, yeah, very fast. That's all I can say about that, really. Um, I saw some excellent stuff the other day from the government analysis function about pie charts. Um, I've been on a bit of a journey with pie charts, really. So um, I have been on the sort of anti-pie chart squad over the years, but over, I think as I've got older, I've mellowed a bit. Um, they are usually a bad idea, um, but I, I think it's sort of, you know, the, the pie chart prejudice has, I think, gone gone too far the other way now. And people people think that, you know, that they're always terrible. Um, and I, I don't agree with that. Actually, I think sometimes they can be quite useful um, when they're clear and there's not too many categories, you know, that kind of thing in certain cases. Um, and there's loads of great guidance in that. So it's nothing to do with R, um, but um, obviously you can draw pie charts with R. And I thought it was quite an interesting little kind of slice of uh, obscure kind of argument that analysts like to have. Where where are you on pie charts at the moment, Zoe? Yeah, I I, I don't draw them. Um, I do, but I do think that sometimes it's really fascinating when you think something's brilliant or you think something's terrible terrible then somebody questions it and makes you think because you made me think about pie charts and also donut charts we had a conversation ages oh, ago oh yeah donut i like charts. a donut chart too yeah, yeah. and i just saw something recently uh, one of the links that was shared from the some data science training from the ons that i was attending which was really good and it said error bars hide information mm. and um I, because I was, was like confidence levels and error bars, you need these. And then it's like, even that can be misleading. So we can think that something is brilliant and like the expected thing that we should do, like you should never use pie charts. And I think we do use them terribly. If it's just showing male and female, often it's almost 50-50. If it's slightly off, you can't quite see it. So it just feels like a pointless circle that's split in half. But then some of the ones that they've shown on that example website, are really good so it's just it's very clear you're making a, a point answered versus not answered they've got this example of 82 percent versus 18 and it looks quite good it gets that meaning across without having to look at the figures you don't need to see that you can you can see that and if you put it as a bar chart which it has there instead it doesn't quite have that same impact so there is a place it's just maybe it's been overused maybe it's like one of those things that's just too you know when something's good it gets the first time it was used, it was really good. I think it was William Farr may have uh, created it. And then Florence Nightingale changed it to the coxcomb or she used the coxcomb. So it has a lot of history. It was very useful. And then maybe it just got a little bit too popular. It gets used in schools, yeah. doesn't it? It's one of the first things that schools and children get to see. So They come in waves, these things, don't they? It's like the pop song of the music world, really, isn't it? It's kind of nice, but then it can be just, you can get a bit too much. People do get very cross about error bars, though. You know, those those mm -hmm. bar charts, with those dynamite plots, they call them, with the error bars on them. I've seen lots of people get, I used to draw loads of those um, years ago, and now I see people online getting very angry if you do that. I think the but thing even, is, oh, huh? I was going to say, even box plots, 
So even a box plot has been questioned about how useful it can be because it can hide things. And I so the, the violin is, plot yeah. came in. Yeah, it's because any plot can hide. That's why I always say when I read these things, I think, well, any plot. I like if because, yeah, box plot can definitely hide things. But how, check. Um, those things, what are they called? You know, what is it? A what is it? A carpet? You know, the little dots along the bottom of the x-axis. So it's almost like no. you can plot. It's like a it's like a histogram, but like squashed. So like the oh. carpet's deeper or so, something like that. Um, mm. So you can almost see the distribution in the x. All those kinds of things. So yeah, I think you just yeah. I, I suppose when you're showing a plot, you kind of have to trust the person who drew the plot that it's the right plot. Sometimes. I don't think there is a plot where, because if it showed all the information, that's not a plot anymore, is it? That's just every single data point. That's not a plot, is it? That's just, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, when I was doing the introduction to R&R &R Studio training, we do a little bit of the ggplot. And what's really fascinating for me is that I can see something like repeatedly each month for a year. And then by month 13 or 14 into the next year, it's like, oh, suddenly just dawns on me that the data doesn't give the same meaning when we facet it, for example. So we have a data set that you have, um, I think it's increase in staff levels, true or false, and trying to understand whether that's had an impact on these other two variables. And you kind of think it would do, it makes sense to, and you can see it in the chart, but that's with your dots in there. But then dots with color isn't always accessible. So if you try and separate the two, it's like, well, that's more accessible, but then you lose that meaning of these two points that we do look at more deeply in the course. And I just felt, felt like at the end of some of these is like, if you had three sets of the same data in different charts, you'll see different things and they're all valid, but it just gives you different meaning to it. And it's quite fascinating for that to suddenly to dawn upon you after seeing the same thing millions of times and go, oh yeah, I should look at that a different way. Yeah. Speaking of hoary old debates, like I'm going to go off off piece now because I was just talking to the podcast guest earlier. I'm very cleverly not saying their name because I'm trying to like build up the mystique about who it is for the next. One. I don't know why I'm doing that. People probably be more interested. I just said, but I'm not going to. Um, so we were talking, and the guest was saying that they felt it's better to learn base R first and then tidyverse. Oh wow! And I said that I sort of agreed. But the thing is, I don't know anybody that's learned Tidyverse first and then learned Base R. So I learned clearly Base R first because I learned when Tidyverse didn't exist. Tim also learned Base R first because it, I think he learned when Tidyverse didn't exist. Oh, I just said his name. Oh, that was not very good. Oh, either. no. You'll have to cut that um, <laughs> that's, Never mind. Um, do you but know you anybody? Do. So that's my first question. I, do you know I, anybody? Yeah, me. Who learned... I, I learned Tidyverse first. But do you I know Base your... R? I know a bit of it. Now, wow. how, how, where do you know what you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I've seen it. I've been in kind of... Okay, well, code. let's do like a quick base R test. Could, could you use S-Supply? No. Does that mean no, I can't use base R then? <laughs> I would look at the documentation and then what go What about base R plots? Can you do base R plots? Yeah, because they're easier to do. But I couldn't do anything sophisticated in them. I could just do hissed i suppose what i meant was someone who's kind of, you know what i mean like dug into both that's kind of what i meant um because mm. i've dug into both i got i mean i was never brilliant at base and i was never brilliant at tiny but like i got the hang of both of them um it would just be interesting to talk to someone because i genuinely don't know what they would say i think the feeling there's loads of people who just learned tidyverse and then didn't bother with base r 
Yes. I know loads of people like that. There's people like me who learn Basar first because that's all there was and then learn Tidyverse and they like both. So I very much like both. I can see strengths and weaknesses, in, but I just don't know anyone that's gone the other way. So I'd be interested to talk to them and say, why did you learn Basar and you know what did it, what did it gain you? But then there are those people who have learned data table. And I think that's because the speed of Tidyverse wasn't great. But why did they go tidy, uh, t- tidy? I mean, data table and not Basar? Because to me, when I look at it, and this is very, very naive, they've got square brackets. So I'm like, they're not that far from each other. But I know that their grammar is going to be different, like different languages. Yeah, I mean, in... that's, yeah, data table is sort of more just dplyr, though, isn't it? Is that fair to say? I don't know. I mean, when I look at it from a dplyr point of view, I'm like, what are you doing there? You've got square brackets. It looks like base. I just mean, they've it's... probably got all the tidy bits in their workflow, I would think, haven't they? I think. I don't I know. Don't... I've never used data table in my life, so we can't have this conversation on a podcast. No, we need both... a data table person too. We need like a panel. Ignorant. I feel um... like data table sits with the tidyverse, is what I mean. So I feel like they're kind of friends rather than being, it's not like a different choice. But I don't think. I find, I find it interesting that you say the base R person or people learnt tidyverse or dplyr and then thought, yeah, that's okay. It's great. I like it. Or, but the dplyr people stopped. And, I, and I'm that person, aren't I? I was like, yep, this works for me. I might learn data table because it is. I have used it in the past to get around things because it is much, much faster and not done the base. I've not gone down that route at all. It doesn't appeal. But then why am I not going, you know, like if base R is so good, why is it not appealing? Not that it needs to appeal. It doesn't have to appeal. No, I think the thing about base R is that it just expands your vocabulary, isn't it? That's what I always think is you will sometimes see people who are quite happy kind of writing loads of tidyverse code. And then I'll just switch into base R for a couple of lines because it's just, there's some oh, things yeah, just that easier. really, that really gets like, to Like bilingual like, people just... who just will just throw out a foreign word occasion because it just fits. <laughs> and then just, you know, like particularly, you know, like a bilingual household. They'll, if there's yeah. a, whatever, Spanish or Japanese or whatever, they'll, they'll just use that for it because it's just, oh, this is, expresses it. And then if, switch back to the other language. If anybody is listening from another, other countries, Gibraltar is a classic they will in the street people will flip between vast swathes of spanish and then english and it's very very hard to follow even if you know the languages because it's just so intense and fast but i find that really difficult in code when somebody switches because it's a bit like there's a lot of people who don't know base r and you've just started to introduce a base r concept there like um table and then column name with the separation with a, a dollar sign i don't like that it's it's not it feels to me like the base R people are very purist and it's like, this is really fast and efficient and it's good language. And if you're going to know it well, this is what you need to learn, which I'm clearly not going down that route. But then when it comes to my code, I don't really like it being mixed because it's not, it's formal code. When you're talking, you can mix your spoken languages together. But I don't think a Gibraltarian, I, I mean, if you're Gibraltarian and listening, please do say if you do this, I don't think they mix when they're writing. They use one language, the official well, language yeah, is English. Well, yeah, but people will throw They'll a data table, it. though, isn't it? They'll be using dplyr, and they go, oh, hang on, I'll just... Yeah, just but I tend to separate mine, so like because they're so different. But I don't see people doing that with base R. They don't go, this is base R now, whereas where it's data table, you go, this is a bit of data table, because you have to do things with your tables to make it work. I felt like it was anyway. But it's so interesting how we have different views and still produce the same sort of outputs yeah i think yeah it's i just 
I feel like maybe with Basar, you were a little bit kind of closer to the language. I think you end up with a slightly... I think Tidyverse is quicker. That's the thing. Tidyverse is quicker. But Basar, you do seem to be a, kind of a bit... The understanding goes a bit deeper. Um, but as I say, I, I really want to meet someone who, who learned Tidyverse first and then learned Basar and just have them explain that experience because I, I don't know anybody like that. So it's really We just go around at the now. conference and ask people, which did you learn first? Which did you learn first? Yeah, well, you people, somebody. you need to all email in. I've never had a single email to the to the podcast, so let this be the first one. Come on, somebody. If that describes you, email NHS our community nhs.net, and you can come on the podcast, or you don't have to come on the podcast if you don't want to. You can just slack me, whatever, uh, and tell us, tell us all about it because we want to know. Um, anyway, like let's move on. Uh, so there's a very silly find as well in the Slack channel that I loved called Cow Accept which is, uh, I think it's just for Python. So basically, it takes any error message that you get from your Python code. And what I was going to say, it makes a cow say it to you. But having clicked on the link, it doesn't just have a cow. It has like a dragon and various things. Um, so that's really fun. I think uh, there's quite a lot of examples of things where they kind of make error messages like fun. Like when you do testing in R, gives you these little nice motivational messages and this also is a, i think there's something about a cow telling you you've made a mistake that's a bit nicer than a, just a horrible computer doing it and the praise package when you're building packages and it tells you nice things and it says you are superb and you are cool and you can add to them as well and i, I there was one or two that came up once and i had to ask you and the team was like what's this mean and you said they're surfer words <laughs> yeah what oh, was okay. it okay tubular as well wasn't it yeah i was like what's tubular is that <laughs> tubular. a good thing you're like yes it is a good they say thing. it in stranger things actually i thought about the praise package when i was watching stranger things because they say it in that i didn't realize that wow and you can contribute to it you can add to them and i did ask for one word to be removed so i did that so it wasn't bad it was just like i don't think that's really praiseworthy and did so. they remove it no i i did a pull request they said i know but like did they accept request? the pull request yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, right, cool. Very quickly. Yeah, power of resource. Yeah. You've got to uh, mention the other one that you said when I asked you about what was the cow doing. I didn't quite understand. Oh, yeah. So Zari was all like, why does this exist, basically? Um, <laughs> it's cool, but why? Yeah, it's cool, but why? Is it often a question in the world of computers, isn't it? So, uh, again, this is something I can get wrong. You can all email me and tell me. It, Certainly Linux users have for a long time liked to put silly stuff in terminals just because it's fun. So I believe, I think it was a Yak, the first one. Yak is obviously big in the world of open source. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there will be Yak. It was the same thing, basically, talking to you, like with a little kind of speech bubble. Um, I forget offhand. I could have definitely Googled it before the podcast because we actually spoke to him about this before we were press record, but I didn't. Uh, but it's a Linuxy thing from the day, days of old anyway with a Yak. Um, and then we were saying there's loads of other things. So, for example, you can watch Star Wars in the terminal as well. I don't think you can watch the whole thing. I don't think they made the whole of Star Wars in the terminal because that would take too long. Um, but there's a short version. So I will put a link to Cowcept so you can have cow powered. We can have a dragon killing a cow as well, actually, which is not very vegan. Um, no animals were harmed in the making of this Python package. Um, and I'll put, put a link to the Star Wars thing in there as well. And I think we've got one more find, have we? Is that right? Oh, no, that was the, the one more find was the Star Wars. Um, yeah, so I think that's it for this week, unless you'd like to add anything else, Sorry. No, I think that's everything. 
Um, if anybody wants to get involved with putting CowAccept into a an R package, that'd be really cool. <laughs> oh yes, indeed. That Zoe was saying that earlier that she wants an R, and I that. said, "Well, right one then." <laughs> and I didn't know what it was for. So instead of so... doing that, she's gone on a podcast and <laughs> asked everybody else to write one. <laughs> and for encouraged us. other people to come and do this because it is cool. There are there is somebody who does a thing called Cool but Useless, and uh, sometimes the useless, but they're not useless. It's just it. Yeah, it's just like no, it, I don't know. Sometimes no, it's it hacking. Useless, it's but... the original meaning of the word hacking, and I can't. There's a this really nice definition of it, and I can't remember offhand what it is. It's something like building stuff for fun or pleasurable building or something. Right. And it's just the idea that you just kind of make stuff just to kind of f- f- to see what happens, kind of thing. And it is creative. So I think the classic example hmm. of this would be what was that place? I think it was at MIT, wasn't it? There was that place, wasn't there? There's been places throughout the years where they've had people and they've t- taken talented people and put them in a room and just said, just muck around, just do what you want. And instead of just playing ping pong and drinking alcohol, as you might expect them to, they build amazing bits of science that kind of, you know, change the world. Um, so, yeah, hacking is, is often thought to be a good source of that kind of thing. So I think what we should say at the end of this is if you do that, if you have a hobby, put a license on it or a contact address because... Uh people will want to say thanks because it's nice or yes put your license on it yes that's very true and write a blog as well because then people will find your blog um right so i'll finish by saying thank you to zoe for coming on the podcast uh, i'm going to thank myself for my edit there's going to be a very small edit due to one of my children and i think that's about it really i think other than what we did it in one take um so i could edit me saying the name of the secret guest star, but i won't bother because you know, just that's fine um but now you'll have to edit yourself editing your edit because now you've edited because you'll have edited it out and it won't exist anymore and you'll be like oh yeah that was a bit that was edited yeah i mean if i go i might just edit myself out of existence wouldn't i um so i need (laughs) to be a bit bit careful um and i will close with another plug for the nhsr conference we're open for abstracts the link for submission will be in the show notes we are open until the 23rd of june which is a friday and the actual conference itself on the 17th and 18th of October. We're looking for talks, lightning talks, workshops, R and Python together on the main stage. It will be totally awesome. So please submit an abstract, come along. I've had lots of uh, interesting stuff sent to me already, so I'm very excited. <laughs>